Welcome to On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison of boysalive.com. You've heard us talk about the boy code and the man box, the unspoken set of expectations that exerts pressure on our boys to behave and act in certain ways. Today, we have with us Jonathan Reed, host of Breaking the Boy Code, a groundbreaking podcast that introduces us to boys' real struggles in their own words and asks us, what if each boy met the boy code with a chain breaker and an open heart? Jonathan, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. I am so in love with your podcast because you are doing something that is crucially important. You have teenage boys talking about what's really going on in their lives talking very openly, very honestly, and then you bring in experts to provide context. Tell us more about yeah. how this all came to be. Basically, I started listening to podcasts when I was bicycling across the country and was like just noticing that there were a couple podcasts about masculinity, but there wasn't much going on. This is before you guys started, right? There wasn't much going on about boys themselves. I've read a couple different researchers and um, I'm always really interested when they put in quotes and interviews and things like that with boys. And I have a lot of connections with boys in the work that I do. So it was just kind of something that I was like, this is, cr like you said, like crucially important and be kind of missing. Yeah, it's definitely missing. And Jen and I actually have tried to wrestle a couple of different boys to come on the podcast with us, and they weren't quite so interested in talking to two middle-aged women. So it's awesome <laughs> that you are in this space doing this, Jonathan. I am really curious how you get the boys that you have on the podcast. First of all, how do you find boys who agree to do this? And then the fact that they are talking and sharing so honestly, and the ones I've listened to, they're also extremely articulate. Yeah, there's some pretty remarkable boys. I work with boys in school-based programs. I work with boys in like different conferences and youth programs and festivals. And I work with boys all through the summer at a summer camp. Like I have a lot of different connections and relationships. Yeah, like I created one after, um, I don't know if you guys knew or heard about what happened at St. Michael's College. There was a lot of news happening about sexual assault that happened at an all boys private school in Toronto. And so I, I asked around, you know, some of the young people and I was like, do you have any experiences of hazing? Do you have any stories from the sports teams that you've been part of? And I had a boy that just kind of jumped at the chance and was like, yeah, I have a story to share and I'd be really interested to share it. And like, he kept thanking me afterwards. You got to turn that around. Like, thank you, right. For sharing your words, for sharing your story. So it kind of just comes out of relationships that I have right now. And not every boy's interested, like you said, like not every boy's willing, but I definitely have had at this point, like a handful of boys that are quite eager to, to share what they think and what they've experienced. Well, and what a relief for him to be able to tell his story. Mm -hmm. That's the episode that I listened to last night, uh, preparing to talk today. And we'll include the link in our show notes to that episode in particular and to your podcast. But, you know, as, as a parent of a teen, teens, so often I look at them and I'm trying to figure out what's going on inside of them. And so mm -hmm. for me, I think you use the word too. It felt like such a gift 
to hear this teenage boy sharing honestly about how this hazing experience made him feel, what was going through his head, and how he and other boys are constantly navigating all Mm. these pressures. You know, there's the desire, very human desire to be socially accepted. And for boys in particular, that comes with so many uh, conditions, it seems. Yeah, and like as parents, you're just... I, like desperate's probably not the right word, but like just so hoping, right, that you can be part of those stories and help them and love them throughout those experiences. So, um, yeah, like the challenge is, I guess, to have that relationship or to maintain that relationship or to um, continue to build that relationship in in you know and having vulnerability with your kids. And like, I think that's something that a lot of parents strive for. And like, it you know, you hit and miss when you have adolescence, but it's really important that parents are putting that work in. I think desperate is the right word. Janet, you okay. would agree that that's how I feel often. Our heads are nodding. Yes, indeed. Desperate, I think our listeners would concur with that also. <laughs> how do you explain the boy code and its influence on boys in everyday life to parents and educators who you know, haven't been working in this space as long as you have? I don't know, like everybody has experienced it, right? Whether they're a boy or a girl, like whether they're an adult or they're a teenager today, um, everybody kind of knows what you're talking about already. Like, yeah, there are expectations that like society at large has for boys and young men. There's expectations for them to be tough and to be aggressive, to be dominant, you know, to be heterosexual, all kinds of different things that are pushed upon boys from their friends, from their parents, within like movies and popular media. So it's like, it's not... It's not the most complicated concept for people. People like, yeah, legit. You know, I know that. I know my brother knows that. I guess like when I'm talking with parents and educators, I usually like it just depends on what's going on for them, what what they're thinking about. But they all kind of have an idea of what it is. I guess I'd say that it's within mainstream discourse about masculinity and about boys that there's these pressures that they face, and it's just a question of delving into the nuances of what's going on with the boys in their lives. And I want to get into okay, we we know it's there however we can describe it, we know it's there. And then tell our listeners what to do about it. But I'm really curious about your journey and your realization or your first encounters with the boy code in your own life. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a big catalyst, like origin story of like why I do what I do. Because when I was a little bit younger than the boys that I work with today, I had long hair and I had a twin sister. So I participated in all kinds of activities and behaviors that were coded as feminine. Um, So like nail polish Barbies, I joined the cheerleading team and I got told exactly what I was doing wrong every single day by the kids that I went to school with. And that looked like being called gay, being called a girl, being called a fag. Before I even really knew what a fag was, I got told um, the way you're being a boy is not okay. Um, And it was relatively violent. And so even at like age 10, I was like, something is not fair about gender, right? Because I just want to be myself. And that's not safe. At a really young age, I knew exactly that like things were not fair in terms of how I was allowed to be who I wanted to be. It is so powerful to hear you say, and I want our listeners to to really think about this. Every day you were being told exactly what you were doing wrong 
in terms of being a boy, in terms Mm -hmm. of being yourself every single day, you were getting messages that were saying, you are not okay as you are. Yeah. And like, and the message that I got, even from my friends, thankfully not from my parents, but even from my friends was like, why don't you just cut your hair? You know, because then people won't misgender you and people won't make fun of you. It's easier, you know, to just go along with the way that everybody else is acting. And I think sometimes parents kind of think that as well. Like, yeah, like if you just don't wear that, you know, mm-hmm. you won't get made fun of. And and so in wanting to like protect the people that you care about, why don't you just go along with what you've been told? And it took a lot of, I guess, resilience, right? To withstand that and to try to just be myself and to maintain the parts of myself that mattered to me. And it sounds you- like you had the support of your parents too. Yeah, yeah. But I know, I mean, I've heard from parents how conflicted they are about, for instance, a mom had was shoe shopping with her eight-year-old son who wanted pink mm-hmm. sparkly tennis shoes. And she stood there in the store and debated with herself, do I, I mean, she was fine with him getting the shoes, but she knew what was going to happen at school. And so mm-hmm. she stood there and debated should I just let him get them? Should I tell him what's likely going to happen? And she decided to tell him, you know, if you wear those to school, your friends are probably going to give you some flack about it. And he decided not to buy the shoes. Hmm. So what what would you say to yeah, that mama? Yeah. I mean, that's probably like the middle line of like, yeah, we can do it. I will support you in doing it. But you got to know, we got to walk into this with our eyes open to, you know, the culture that your school sometimes upholds. That's probably what I would do too. I would probably be a little reluctant and maybe she was too, to let him acquiesce to the normative culture in saying, you know what, I'm not going to buy those shoes. I'm not going to take that risk because I guess if everybody's, you know, if everybody's just conforming, then we lose that richness of, you know, people who want to, who are going to be themselves. So I, I would probably... I would probably start by saying yes and then engage in uh, a conversation of like, how can we make this work and how are you going to meet, you know, the people that give you that flack Um, rather than being like, I don't know if you should or not. I'd say yes first Mm -hmm. and then say, but let's talk about how it's going to happen. It is tough. How do you have those conversations with your kids? And obviously it's going to be age appropriate, but how do you have those conversations about uh, truly sticking with who you are and how do you navigate the friendships of kids who are telling you that's not okay, even though they're Mm -hmm. your friends? Mm -hmm. I'm not a parent yet. So this is all kind of hypothetical for me. But I would say remaining aware of, or like constantly, and this is like, this is easier said than done. It's all easier said than done. (laughs) (laughs) I am a parent Um, and I will tell you that. (laughs) Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind is knowing what's going on at school in their lives. So you can say like, yeah, do you remember when or this thing and what happened to him, right? Or like, do you know that one kid who always has something negative to say? Like knowing specific examples 
rather than being like, yeah, I don't know. The, the kids that like, like having specificity in your concerns is a little bit helpful, I would say, in engaging in really honest and thoughtful conversation of situations and decisions. Like I think specificity is helpful and honesty is helpful. And then on top of, so honesty looks like, honestly, like I love you for that. And honestly, your school is not the safest place for a guy to do something like that, like love on top of that. Either way, you know, be yourself. I love you. It gets confusing. And this is confusing for adults as well as adolescents to figure out, well, who am I? Because I do things based on what other people do, mm-hmm. right? And is that me or is that them? Like, it's just confusing to figure out who you are for anybody. Yeah. Um, but just being there alongside them and talking about that and you know, like when I was a kid, my mom would just come up. Even when I was a teenager, my mom would come up to me and just say, do I tell you I love you often enough? <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, like, yes, you do. Stop embarrassing me. Um, <laughs> you know, but yeah, that love's got to be constantly, constantly shown. You mentioned safety in that answer. And that was one of the things that really stood out to me mm-hmm. in that hazing episode too, is the fact that all of us, but boys in particular, are kind of looking and aware on some level all the time, is it safe for me to Mm -hmm. do this, say this, act this way? If I call out somebody else for how they're treating another boy or another girl, what's that going to do to my safety? I mean, we hear so often as women and in the national and international conversations that women are having to think about their personal safety at all times. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily hear that in terms of men and boys, but I think it's very important to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I've never, I don't think I've ever really thought about it like that, but like, of like, absolutely. Like you, I've done programming where we look at, okay, what do you show on the outside and what do you show on the inside? Because um, I work with this organization called Next Gen Men that does boys programming, and so we we compare the two. And often boys have got a lot of fear inside, right? And in that hazing episode, he says, like, it's really simple, right? We're all scared um, of what might happen if we say something or if we or if we stand up for the right thing. It's not a thought. Like research has shown that a lot of boys' choices are based on being aware of the context that they're in and what you know what choices are safe and what choices aren't. An interesting, this is a little bit of a digression, but an interesting study that I recently read was about boys' emotional um, capacity. And they kind of challenged, you guys might have heard or like read the guys like William Pollack who who write about boys having, like I think he, he calls it an emotional straitjacket um, mm-hmm. or emotional illiteracy. And this study was like, well, boys are actually really capable of reading emotions, understanding emotions, expressing emotions, but they are also very aware of the co- like the context that they're in. And so their responses to like friends' emotional vulnerability will depend on what they think is like, you know, the safest choice or the best choice to protect their friends like masculine status for lack of a better term. So it was kind of it's kind of what you say like, yeah, when you think about boys' safety that I don't know, that kind of flips the the narrative a little bit. Mhm. And in some cases, we are talking about physical safety. You know, hazing and bullying Mm -hmm. often takes physical turns. Um, I'm sure you have seen, maybe even experienced, certainly heard about instances where boys have been harmed for how they look, what they wear, how they speak. 
And at the same time, emotional safety is critically mm-hmm. important to all of us. When, when you go through your day feeling like it is not okay to be who you are, that takes a tremendous toll on your, on your soul and on your psyche. Mm-hmm. Something that I talk often about with boys is the fact that they're, as they grow older, there, there are spaces and there will be spaces where there's no supervision. Right. And they're, and often like the preteens that I'm working with are experiencing that on snap on Snapchat or Instagram or, you know, and then they start heading off to parties and locker rooms where there's no adults around who can keep them safe, who can, um, you know, who can draw the lines. And so what I often say to boys is like in those spaces, you are your friend's best protection and vice versa. Like you've got to be there for each other and you've got to be aware of what's okay and what's not. And that's really important to like empower young people to, to take ownership of those spaces and to take ownership of protecting themselves and protecting the people around them. One of the things that we adults are trying and probably clumsily in a lot of ways to do is to help our boys grapple with and make sense of these changing expectations. I think that we're making some progress towards expanding the man box and breaking the boy code. But as you well know, that work is certainly not done. So, uh, you know, how do you Mm -hmm. engage boys in these conversations? What do you find successful? And maybe, you know, our parents can adopt some of those uh, strategies as well. Um, I I ask all the easy questions. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) (laughs) What's coming to mind is I did a program closure yesterday. And really in a lot of ways, like the bottom line, you know, the message where we, because we had talked about like mental health, we talked about misogyny, we talked about bullying, like we talked about all kinds of things, but what it kind of came down to for those boys was be yourself. And they talked about what that meant for them personally. And for some of them, it had to do with their role as a brother. And for some of them, it meant, you know, celebrating parts of themselves, like, you know, how artistic he was, like things like that. So it wasn't like a blanket statement, but just just expressing like, be yourself and that's okay. And sometimes maybe you're tough and that's great. And sometimes maybe you're strong and that's great, but also other times maybe you're caring and that's important too. And, and those things are not mutually exclusive. So Jonathan, thinking about this group of boys you said that you had closure with yesterday, I wonder if you were to ask those boys what they want, like the one thing they want their parents to know, what Mm. would that be? Um, Well, first of all, I thought of a different, a really quick story. I was doing a keynote presentation at uh, a school that was having a day about mental health and wellness. And I had different qualities around the room. So one was like strong and one was brave. And then others were like what would typically be a little more considered feminine. So I think one was like gentle, you know, and one was trustworthy. And I had the boys, there was a couple different steps, but at the end I said, okay, stand at the one that you want that you think is most important to who you are? Like, which one do you want to aspire to? And most of the boys split up in different ones. And then there was one boy who went to the center. And he was like maybe a 10 years old. And he went to the center. And so I asked him and he said, yeah, like, I don't want to choose. Like, I just want to be me. And, I, and sometimes I'll feel this and sometimes I'll feel that. And as he was talking, boys floated from where they were to stand with him. And so it was this really cool resistance to me, you know, having positioned things that way to say like, I'm just going to be myself and that's going to be a lot of different things. Wow. So that was a really cool moment. In terms of what boys want their parents to know, I don't know if you, (laughs) this is an inference, 
I don't think I've ever had a boy explicitly say this, but I have had boys talk like, for example, like when boys share the low of their week in the programs that I do with next gen men, some of the time, a lot of the times the low of their week is not doing very well at something in school, um, you know, or getting in trouble. And I wonder if the way that they act towards their parents demonstrates this actually really bummed me out or if they, you know, position themselves as indifferent to what had happened. And I've also had boys talk about like, feeling concerned about vaping, right? Or feeling self-conscious about the way something happened with a girl that they were interested in. Again, this is a bit of like a jump because I don't think a boy has said this to me explicitly, but I think if those boys who were feeling down about what had happened could say something or telepathically communicate something to their parents, it would be just sort of letting their parents know the vulnerability that they feel in those situations and that they do feel down about themselves and they do, you know, want a pick me up and they do want a bit of love that they maybe haven't asked for themselves. One of the things that comes up frequently in my Facebook group, Building Boys, is parents of teen boys reminding other parents of teens that often when these boys come home and they're storming around or they get short with us or they blow up over what seems to be a really minor request, you know, please pick up your backpack. There's likely more going on that Mm -hmm. we don't know about. And sometimes they're not ready to talk about it. So as parents, if we can remember your words and kind of just hold that space to realize that they are dealing with a lot of pressure. Something may have gone wrong at school today. There could be a very deep concern on his mind. And these reactions and this behavior that I'm seeing is not the sum total of my son. Totally. So I think of this um, 13-year-old who asked me to talk and then the next day said, sorry, actually, I didn't feel like talking. I was in a bad mood. As much as I wish I didn't, I still make these assumptions. I kind of figured he was pissed off about something, you know, that someone had got him angry and, you know, whatever, he was frustrated about something. And, uh, you know, a couple days later, we, he, that was when he found out that I create this podcast and he listened to the one that starts, I think it was the intro that starts with a dedication to a young person I know who had taken their own life. And he asked me about that. And I talked a bit about that. And that's when he shared about losing a young person, like a, a kid who had kind of been like a younger brother to him who had died in the hospital. And that's when I, I, I kind of had this realization and was like, so when you said you were in a bad mood, he was like, yeah, like I was freaking depressed and couldn't get out of bed. And so for me, it was like, wow, like I still assumed that he was angry and he was sad, you know? And if I had just figured that he had just been pissed off and we hadn't, you know, continued to have this conversation, I might never have been able to help him end up communicating with his parents about the depression that was going on for him. So yeah, that's like a story that I think of when you say that like, yeah, you've got to remember that like that angry, I wouldn't call it a a facade, but that angry, you know, behavior, that angry response is like you said, not the sum total of my boy. Well, and part of that too, Jonathan, is I can imagine, I mean, it doesn't sound like you took it personally, but I can imagine that parents can take it personally and think, you know, oh, it's me again. And what did I do? And and that plays into the whole dynamic as well. So if we can kind of keep our own egos out of the way and realize, yeah, this is all, this is what's going on for him. And he's not necessarily, it's not about me as mom. He's not mad at me. He's, right. as Jen said, mad at 
the world in another way. Also, to your point, is to continue to have the conversations. It's kind of easy to just go, oh, that's really uncomfortable over there. So we're just going to pretend that's not going on. But to continue to be in dialogue and not necessarily push, but there is a place of gently nudging Mm -hmm. to keep the conversation going. Yeah, I just read a book recently um, called Cracking the Boy Code, <laughs> which I'm laughing about because it's similar to my podcast name and I'm glad he didn't quite, you know, quite yeah. uh, get the same name. Anyways, it's called Cracking the Boy Code and it's this child, I think he's a therapist um, named Adam Cox and he, um, he talks about like communicating with boys and, and he, the reason I'm mentioning it is because it really allows you to understand about like not taking things personally and like also like things like voice tone and like timing and context and how you can leverage all those things to have more effective and thoughtful and um, sort of like mutually positive conversations with the boys that you, um, you know, that you're raising. Mm-hmm. You know, in some ways, this is so incredibly simple. You said it before. It's really about allowing boys and everybody the freedom and space to be yourself. Just mm-hmm. be who you are. And at the same time, that is also the most complicated thing in the world. (laughs) Your podcast is needed. It's why our podcast is needed. It's why there's a book called Cracking the Boy Code that breaks down things like timing and voice tone. It's the, the how to do it is the hard part that we're all working on figuring out. I think it's really critical that parents are, that parents are thinking about this critically and thinking about their boys you know, with a lot of intention and love. Um, and like you said, it's it's both really simple and the most complicated thing in the world. I'm curious about your work with Next Gen Men. I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. I'm the program coordinator for Next Gen Men. Um, and that it's a, it's a young organization in Canada that does gender transformative programming with boys and mostly boys that are 12 and 13 years old. In this program, we look at Things like uh, the stereotypes that we get in the media. We look at how those stereotypes affect, you know, ourselves in the form of mental health, um, self-esteem, you know, and how we act towards others. And, and we talk about bullying in relationships and we talk about misogyny and feminism. And so the boys create, like we create a pretty vulnerable space over the span of a few months where the boys are able to reflect on you know, the messages that they've gotten about masculinity, able to reflect on who they want to be. And they do that, not hand in hand physically, but like, you know, in the, in the presence and in the partnership of, of their peers. It's a really meaningful program. Yeah. So I could say it's a meaningful experience as an adolescent boy to be given the opportunity and to be given the space to reflect and explore and grow you know, without having to fear if I say that thing or if I share that part of myself, is it going to be safe? Mm -hmm. You know, parents, we can do a lot in our homes to create safe spaces and to give our boys the space to be who they are, but we can't do this all by ourselves. Mm -hmm. I cannot create a space for a group of boys to come together and critically think about what are the messages that I've gotten about being a boy and being a man. And 
to have that can make a huge difference in a kid's mm-hmm. life. So I think one of the things that we can do as parents, as educators and community members is support and advocate for programs such as Next Gen Men, you know, programs that help connect boys with thoughtful people like yourselves and bring them together to facilitate mm-hmm. these discussions. Totally. Yeah. They're a bit of a game changer, you know, and my, and the one I, the, the work that I do is not alone. Like there are other, there's other organizations and programs, but like, um, like you said, like they can help change the narrative outside of, you know, outside of your family and in really critical places for boys. So tell our listeners how they can find out more about Next Gen Men, how they can connect with you. And of course, we'll include everything in our show notes as well. Uh, so yeah. So first of all, Breaking the Boy Code, if you Google that, if you go breakingtheboycode.com, at Boy Podcast on social media uh, to find out more about the podcast and the boys that that are part of it. And if you look up Next Gen Men, nextgenmen.ca, at nextgenmen on social media, Uh, You can learn more about this program that's going on in Canada. And there's obviously ways to get engaged, to volunteer, to sign up and to support on both of those websites. It has been incredible to talk with you today. And I do encourage all of our listeners to tune into your podcast because those voices are really valuable. And I think that you're the only one that's doing this in this space. And to be able to hear these boys who have such open hearts really enables us to know what's going on for them in such a deeper way. And that enables us to do our work as the adults, the teachers, the parents around them. We are all in this together. And Jonathan, Mm -hmm. I just so appreciate you being with us and applaud the work that you're doing. Yeah, right back at you guys. Thanks for joining us. You can find the show notes for this episode at onboyspodcast.com. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, please share this podcast with your friends and even your community groups and schools will benefit from knowing about this resource. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, and we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men.